Hello and welcome back to the Communique on Lunk Radio. I am your host, Jackson Meredith. The date is March 17th, 2009, and I am joined today by... Morgan. Brian. Oliver. And I wanted to, we want to discuss vegetarianism and animal rights today. We'll start this off on sort of a personal note. I want to, I mean, I've, all three of my guests here today are vegetarians, and I just want to ask you folks, why are you a vegetarian? How old were you? What made you decide to do it? Well, I was 14, and I was eating a steak, and uh, I found a really disgusting enlarged vein inside the steak. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was pretty disgusting and nasty. I don't know. So then I started to research the subject of it, and uh, to me it was kind of like killing my dog and eating it, you know? An animal is an animal. It's mm. not necessary. You can get the same nutrients from vegetables and whatnot, so... You were, you were 14, you said? Mm -hmm. I didn't become a vegetarian until I was probably um, 21 or 22. And the reason why I decided to become a vegetarian was um, I was in veterinary technician school in, in Norfolk, Nebraska. And uh, part of our training was to work on, on uh, farms. And uh, we had to do some, some work on feedlots, and uh, we went to some factory farms that were owned by corporations. And really touring those facilities was what made up my mind that this was not something that I wanted to fund. I saw that the way that the animals were treated and uh, exploited, and I just told myself that there was no way. So that same day after I toured the one of the facilities, I remember going and buying some of the like alternative products for vegetarians like uh like boker burgers and things like that and um i was never really repulsed by meat to begin with kind of like like morgan was but uh, i guess because i didn't give it that much thought but uh, after seeing everything that um you know the production line everything that goes into it and especially the, the cruelty has always been the most important part for me that was a deciding factor and um, yeah ever since then I've been a vegetarian and recently I'm making the switch to um, becoming a vegan and having some difficulty with that because of uh, financial it's a but pretty expensive it, yeah. lifestyle, isn't it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But we'll uh, come back to that then. <laughs> Outstanding. But uh, <clears throat> you can go ahead. I well, in late 2002, I was thinking about becoming a vegetarian, and what made you? What made you think about it? Well, <clears throat> originally it was for the. It was for the animals. I uh, have a great deal of respect and love for all animals, some more than others, but I try to treat them equally. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I was uh, 16 at the time, I could not think of why should I eat these animals, they're just like me in many ways. And then I went to California to visit my father, this was in December, and uh, we, went, we went out fishing, and uh, we, were, we were on a boat. Fishing, so that stuff, got some fish, and this fisherman, commercial fisherman boat came, smaller vessel, and uh, this guy threw a lobster at us, you know, hey, you want this? I'm sure, <laughs> sure. So we took the lobster home, <clears throat> and we, uh, we put it in a pot, boiling water. Oh, no. <laughs> and was, I, I swear, I, I mean, I, I could hear it scream, right? I don't yeah. know if it was steam or whatever, but I could hear... <laughs> yeah, I could hear it as if it was screaming, and I thought to myself, "Hmm, well, it's almost New Year's, New Year's resolution. I'm gonna be a vegetarian." <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah. I, th I think a lot of people, if they actually had to witness what goes into, you know, from the animal to their plate, if they had to witness all of that, you know, the slaughtering, um, the <clears throat> the the conditions that the animals live in, I don't, I think that there would be a lot more vegetarian. Um, I think that uh, one of the st statistics that I read stated that um, only three to four percent of Americans are, are vegetarian or vegan, which I th I thought it would be higher than that. But um, have you seen any statistics on how much that 
that lifestyle has grown in the last 20, 30 years. It certainly seems like it's become much more mainstream, much more visible. I think I think it is growing. I don't have any statistics on hand, but um, just from anecdotally speaking, people that I've met, I've met a lot more people as of lately that have chosen to become uh, vegetarian or vegan. A lot of people, after I've talked to them and told them, you know, the reasons why I decided decided to uh, have a lifestyle change, then they decided to as well. Um, I think if uh, once once people can, um, you know, I, I just really think that there's a lot of people that don't think about it. They don't uh, they don't give it a second thought. So it's it's it's. I think the main thing is just kind of countering that sort of. Um, Indifference that people have, you know, and maybe maybe making them see um, if you can take them to a farm or if you can take them and show them a video of of what the animals have to live through. You want to jump in? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Go. Paul McCartney had a <clears throat> really great quote, famous Beatle. He said, "If slaughterhouses had glass walls, oh god, the whole world would be vegetarian." Yeah, and I think that's that's partially true. If people were informed, they knew. Uh, the process and the way things were conducted, I think they would seriously consider it. Yeah. And I, I have some information on, the, on statistics. Uh-huh. Um, I think in the last 20, 30 years it's grown. I don't have specific statistics for that. However, there's some trends in uh, Great Britain. Uh, in 2008, the uh, number of people who are vegetarian in Great Britain or vegetarian or vegan, was 7%. which is actually down from 9%. I think a lot of people give it a shot and do it for a year or 10 years, and then they stop. And this, I'm sure maybe 15% of the population has tried it at one point. And what makes people stop, do you think? <clears throat> Have you looked into that at all? Well, there's a few studies I've, I've looked into, and a lot of it was uh, they preferred to eat meat. They just said, I really want to eat meat. It tastes good. All that. Mm. I think that as people age, they start to to lose a sense of idealism. Like, you know, there's no point in, in trying to better the conditions of animals. You know, they're going to suffer anyways, so why should I... Why should I have to... Uh, you know, fight for this anymore because it doesn't look like we're getting anywhere. It's a sort of defeatism, kind of. Um, and you see that with other other things that people, activist causes, um, people kind of, you know, they become um, burnt out and they they kind of lose that, that urge to fight for change. I think that's part of it. They'll, they'll settle yeah. for less. They'll settle, settle for a comfort zone. Yeah. I think a lot of people will... But, um, yeah, after I, I started to, to kind of talk about why I become a, became a vegetarian and talk about my views more, um, really I thought that the best kind of uh, rhetorical question that summarized my view um, was um, if in modern industrial society like the one in which we live, if that affords us um, the ability to live without killing and exploiting animals, you know, we don't need animals anymore for food. We don't need them for clothing. Um, we don't. We certainly don't need them for entertainment. Um, then, if we have that ability, then why why should we continue uh, to kill and exploit animals? And um, really, that question, and then also asking people, um, could you yourself personally kill an animal? And Usually, you know, to both of those questions, people are, are quick to say, N- "No, I, I, I don't. I think you're right. I don't think we need um, animals as a necessity to live." And, and a lot of people would say, "No, they couldn't kill an animal by themselves." Um, so I, I usually ask them, "Well, if you if you couldn't do it personally, why why can't you do it personally?" And they usually, you know, because they, it's gross or they wouldn't want to kill the animal because they have, you know, empathy for animals. And uh, it's just like, at that point, I, I usually ask them, well, why would you have a middleman do it for you? Isn't that just as bad? I mean, if you couldn't do it yourself, then why would you pay someone to do it for you? 
Well, there is the old, cynical old adage, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. True. And, yeah, I think that's uh, a big a big reason why there's so many people that have, you know, the omnivorous diet, the diet that includes meat, is because they really, you know, it's convenient. You go to the store, you can buy the meat, you know. I, I don't think that meat consumption was as prevalent um, in, um, you know, centuries ago or even um, several decades ago because, you know, if if you wanted to get meat, you had to witness more of the the process. You had to go to the butcher and you had to go, you know, you had to either, um, like farmers that had to uh, kill the animals themselves... I think they they ate meat less because it wasn't like today. You know, you just have these um, workers that are also exploited, killing these animals by you know the hundreds or thousands a day, and and people don't see any part of that. And there's there's other. I, I think that both of us we um, decided to be vegetarian, or are you vegan or vegetarian? I'm. Vegetarian, right vegetarian, now. yeah. Let, um, let's back up just a second. Let's explain the difference between vegetarianism and veganism for anyone who may not know. Well, I believe there's like three versions. It's vegetarianism, where you don't eat uh, animal flesh, yeah. And there's strict vegetarianism, where you don't eat animal products, eggs, yeah. milk, and so forth. Veganism is uh, more of a lifestyle than a diet. I mean, you don't wear leather, or you don't you, know, you don't eat any meat whatsoever. You don't yeah. eat honey. You don't eat bee pollen, and it's more of like a, a, a strict lifestyle instead yeah. of a strict diet. You simply don't use any animal products. Well, vegetarianism is kind of a an en- encompassing term because um, vegetarians do there's lacto ovo vegetarians which consume you know milk products from animals and eggs um and uh there's also uh people that call themselves vegetarians although they're they're not technically vegetarians but they're um pescatarian i think is the term they consume fish and you know fish is an animal fish is meat so i I wouldn't consider that vegetarian so that's kind of a misnomer if you're using it's sort of a distinction, though. I mean, I guess it sort of goes into the roots of why people choose to become vegetarians, which yeah. might be the next question here. But, I mean, I think that the basic idea behind that sort of choice is that the whole idea that a pig is going to feel it when you kill it, mm-hmm. a chicken is going to feel it when you kill it, a cow is going to feel it when you kill it, and those animals... They're warm-blooded. They're intelligent to a degree that they're very similar to us, whereas the feeling is that the fish is low enough on the food chain that it's not quite the same degree yeah, of suffering. Agree, disagree? There's that's, that's kind of debatable, and that's where the animal rights issue gets sort of cloudy is when you get into um, the idea of sentience or the ability to perceive mentally, like stimuli and pain and things like that. Um, and actually there's been a lot of research that shows that fish are probably capable of that. Um, they do have a somewhat complex nervous system. So I, I really don't think that I, uh, from the pescatarians I know, the people that consume fish, um, a lot of those people do, um, take that, take on that diet for nutritional reasons, um, I think if the, if you if you're going that way for ethical reasons, you you should probably do some more research uh, about fish and whether or not they can feel pain. Do you do you know any more about? Well, they have eyes. Yeah, and <laughs> I think that's a pretty good indicator if they. I mean, if they're a living being. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I mean, strictly for uh, how fish feel, and aside from the ecological or environmental impact of fishing. Strictly yeah. speaking about the their feelings, whatever, I think uh, we should give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, yeah, maybe they feel pain, maybe they don't. I think uh, they're a living animal. Yeah. They're a fish. We should not eat them. Yeah. Um, 
Should we back up then and go into a little more detail on why people would choose to be vegetarian? What are these reasons? I mean, health, you talk about concern for animals, and something we haven't touched on yet is the ecology of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's several reasons for becoming a vegetarian or a vegan. Um, for me, the big ones are uh, the ethical reasons and then also the environmental and labor. Um, a lot of people also decide to, to take on the vegetarian diet for nutritional reasons because a lot of evidence does show that it is a, a more healthy diet for a lot of reasons. And um, I do have some statistics here to back up that statement. Um, this is a, a statement from the American Dietetic Association um, in, in conjunction with the Canadian dietitians. Um, this is from their journal uh, in, uh, let's see, 2003, uh, Journal of the American Dietetic Association. They said that um, uh, vegetarians have lower rates of death from ischemic heart disease, um, i.e., you know, cardiovascular disease like uh, arteriosclerosis and, um, and uh, anything like that would, that would impair blood flow, um, lower blood cholesterol levels, lower blood pressure, um, type 2 diabetes, lower rates of prostate and colon cancer, and then um, they also have much lower rates of obesity than those who have the omnivorous diet, the, the diet that includes meat. Um, also, there's some evidence that, uh, well, one that's important for men to hear, I think, is that on impotence, any, anything that uh, causes arterial sclerosis where fatty deposits build up in the arteries is impairing blood flow inside the body. Um, and they found that the primary cause for erectile dysfunction in men is um, cardiovascular disease. So eating eating a diet that includes meat increases your chances of having uh, cardiovascular disease and therefore perfusion to this important part of your body. <laughs> but... Uh, so, so taking on a vegetarian diet does decrease your chances of, of developing um, erectile dysfunction. Um, there's also uh, a lot of studies that have confirmed that vegetarians do have um, greater longevity. Um, there was a study recently, um, actually 2003, German Cancer Research Center, and they did a study that included vegans, vegetarians, and then what they called moderate vegetarians, and that was individuals that occasionally ate meat and fish. And what they did is they compared these, uh, this group of people with the general population. And they stated that uh, all three groups uh, enjoyed a huge increase in life expectancy. Um, for every 100 deaths in the general population, only 59 deaths were recorded for the study participants. Um, and the difference is even greater for the male vegetarians. I think that's because males have a greater um, incidence of cardiovascular disease. Um, only 52 deaths compared to the uh, 100 in general population of men. So there is a lot of um, good reasons to adopt the diet for purely nutritional reasons. But so, that was kind of a secondary consideration for me, and I think I think a lot of vegetarians too. But for a, for a lot of people, I suppose the main motivation has to do with, with concern for the well-being of the animals themselves. Yeah. And you've been sort of touching on this indirectly. Now, I mean, the, the horrors of the factory farm system are, I think, pretty regularly known by vegetarians and rather virtually unknown by the general public at large. These, these animals aren't typically being boiled alive like the, the lobster that right. Oliver had an experience with, but can you talk about, <clears throat> can you talk about what factory farming means in more specific detail? Well... Factory farming is when um, a corporation gets involved in farming. And basically, you know, a corporation wants to maximize their profits, and they're very skillful at doing this. They can make the cages smaller. They can make uh, uh, the feeds more efficient. They can add steroids and antibiotics. What does it mean when the cages are smaller? What, what does it mean to be caged? Uh, when, like, For instance, chickens are... are Usually considered the most wide or the most abused animal um, when it comes to farm animals, and they 
have uh, these broiler cages where, or battery cages is what they're called. They stick like six to eight birds in one small cage that is, uh, you know, a foot by a foot. And it, it just seems impossible. And what they have to do to keep the birds from pecking each other is they have to cut their beaks off. Um, and then these animals are at a great risk of developing infections because they live in absolutely filthy conditions. So they have to pump them full of antibiotics to prevent these infections. But the reason that the corporations want to do this is to maximize their profits. Um, less room is needed. Um, the birds are, are all confined to the one cage. You don't have them running around. Um, it's easier to, to round them up and move them. Um, and uh, you see that with all the animals. Uh, uh, the sows are kept in um, cages where they can't turn around. Um, you don't want a lot of muscle content in, in your meat, so a lot of effort is taken to make sure that the animals don't do a lot of exercise because you want the kind of fatty meat. Um, veal industry is a prime example of this. They, they have the small crates where the young veal calves don't move at all and they develop anemia um, just so that they, the meat can be just right. For, it's like a delicacy for people. Um, and there's, I mean, there's, what I witnessed was, it was extremely shocking for me. I, I had no idea, um, the slaughter process. Um, a lot of times they, they use what's called a captive bolt gun that shoots a bolt out and then it's retracted. Um, a lot of times that's not lethal initially and they have to do it several times. You'll hear the animal vocalizing, they'll be bleeding. Um, you can just, I mean, anybody that, um, knows what pain is, can look at the animal and know that they're just writhing in pain. It's just, and, um, you know, kosher slaughter plants are even worse. Um, that's where, you know, for religious reasons, the animal has to be slaughtered in a certain way. The animal's led into a chute, they lift the neck up and slice the throat, the jugular and carotid arteries, and the animal bleeds to death over the course of, you know, either 20 seconds to a minute, and the whole time they're just writhing around in their own blood. And, I mean, there's all kinds of examples of this. The foie de gras is another one of these delicacies where um, ducks are force-fed grain until they develop fatty liver disease because people like to eat the liver. And there's, I'm sure you've heard yeah. and seen a lot Maybe of this. it's your turn to jump in <laughs> on this cheerful subject. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think ducks and geese, right, foie yeah, de gras, yeah. um, they, the, the liver will actually expand. It'll grow to... Uh, a next, uh, like a multiple of its yeah, like normal size, several times, it's and it'll kill the animal, yeah. and that's an extraordinarily painful way to die. And it's uh, there's a few restaurants that serve photograph in Nebraska. There's one in Omaha. There's at least one in Omaha, and there was one in Lincoln. Yeah, th I think there's one in the Haymarket that uh, yeah that sells. And uh, we should have had a list of them to read on the air. Well, <laughs> next time we'll, yeah. we'll do that. But, I mean, <clears throat> chicken, there's, there's approximately 15 billion chickens in the world, which is a lot. And a lot of that is used for meat consumption. A lot of that is, like, all, all these chickens are confined in a space, and they will peck each other to death. If they're not killed by not being able to walk, well, the, these, these chickens are so confined that, you know, they go blind and they'll, they don't know what to do. So they'll just try to peck at whatever they can just to eat food. And oftentimes they will peck at other chickens. And since, I mean, they're literally, I mean, imagine just a, a box. Okay, like, if, if you're moving, a moving box, you could fit factory farmers, you know, put like 15 chickens in that box, you know. It's yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, chickens, chickens have it the worst, which I I kind of find it to be um, odd because chickens to me seem like an animal that could you know really be a mutually beneficial animal to have in crop fields because they can consume insects. I I mean I have two chickens that live with me in, in my in my backyard and um, I actually I do 
eat their eggs because I don't feel that's an eth ethical issue. They have a really good life. They uh, aren't exploited by me. I don't torture them. I don't put them in small cages. They have free room. So, I mean, that's um, that's that's another option, I think, that vegans are, or I guess vegan is, by definition, someone that doesn't eat any animal products. But vegetarians, I think that if you were to consume eggs from a farm, I mean, you'd really have to research the farm. But there are some family farms that just, basically, their their chickens are pets. And, I mean, that, that to me is a sort of a mutually beneficial relationship and... Um, I think that my view on that kind of strays from some of the animal rights orthodoxy that think that um, a lot of the domestic animals should just be abolished so we can avoid the the exploitation and suffering that they've historically had to suffer. Um, but I feel that you know there's certain domestic species that wouldn't necessarily need to be phased out um, that they could. Uh, be mutually beneficial and we could have a sort of symbiotic relationship with them. Um, for instance, uh, companion animal dogs, they do a lot for humans and and we can't reintroduce these animals back into the wild, but um, they can, um, you know, live, have a mutually beneficial relationship with, with humans. Um, but one, one animal that I think... Uh, would really do the human humans and other animals, the whole planet, a service to kind of phase out would be um, cattle. Um, and this is kind of getting into the environmental aspect of why you would want to adopt a vegetarian diet. But, I mean, in Nebraska here, cattle outnumber us. <laughs> There's actually more of a population of cattle in Nebraska than there are, are humans. And... Um, that really takes an environmental toll. The whole livestock industry does. And uh, I'm just curious. We're sort of on the subject of animal rights here a little bit. You said something about some some elements of the animal rights. We were talking about abolishing domestic animals. What what exactly well, does that mean? I think yeah. This this there's like a huge uh, discussion like potential for this. Um, the the, the abolin, abolin, abolish this. How do you say that word? Abolish. Abolish. Yeah. abolish uh, abolitionists. That's yeah, the one yeah. I'm looking for. The abolitionist movement. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ha. Yes. The abolitionist movement uh, against the welfare movement. I think, yeah. I think there's uh, a lot to be discussed for that. And and I, I want to get into these, these different distinctions among the animal rights movement in the second half of the show here in a couple of minutes. But I'm just curious what this means to abolish a domestic <laughs> animal before we... We can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does it mean to abolish? Well, it means to uh, essentially have no contact. Yeah, like them. phase out certain phase, species. Phase out any relationship, any, uh, you know, relationship with animals. Specifically, like, for cattle, yeah. uh, we don't uh, grow them. We, we, don't, we don't, you know, inject hormones and steroids in them so they grow up quicker. We simply let them live their natural yeah. lives out in the wild, in the prairie or whatever, and we don't artificially um, increase their uh, their birth rate. We let them live naturally. Yeah. And, I mean, there's clearly uh, a higher number of cattle due to us. There's clearly a, number, a higher number of cattle for our purposes than there would otherwise be if we had no uh, contact with them. Yeah. And I, think, I think there are a lot of sort of what you would call schisms within the animal rights movement. There's not, like, this core of dogma that every animal rights advocate subscribes to. I, I found that my opinions tend to differ from other people, um, other um, activists within the movement. We'll get into this in just a second. We're already at the halfway point of our show. You're listening to the Communique on Lunk Radio. We are discussing animal rights. Now, I mean, some of the terms that I've heard thrown around as far as distinctions within this, this movement, animal welfare, animal rights, and animal liberation. Are these basically the three principal branches, and could you define them for me? Yeah. Well, oh, go ahead. Well, animal welfare essentially means... We should treat the animals better. 
but yeah. we, we should still eat them. I mean, <laughs> I mean there, there's a, there's um, Proposition 2 in, in, in California uh, in the general election in November where it stated that um, there would be a mandatory law that would state that all these animals, cows, chickens, whatnot, would be, by law need to be uh, treated better and more humane, humanely. And <clears throat> Am I to understand this correctly for, to give an example? I mean, the idea of an animal welfare position is one that it's okay to raise a chicken, a cow, a pig for food, but we should strive to make sure that they only have one bad day in their lives. That's sort of a safe yeah, pitch that someone Essentially, yes. I mean, slightly bigger cages. Or I think that's the ideal, but unfortunately, the animal, <laughs> animal uh, welfare movement, um, you know, they do face a lot of opposition from the, the corporations, the factory farms, and a lot of times they do settle for concessions. You know, maybe uh, we won't uh, pump them full of steroids as much, but uh, we'll still keep them in the small pens. You know, they'll settle for these type of small gains, and that's that's the problem. It's it's just kind of slowly reforming um, animal rel- animal rights. So then, is- uh, just in conclusion, then that animal welfare would be considered the most moderate. Yeah. Most sort of watered down. Yeah, position. essentially. Yeah. I mean, I'm of the opinion that animal welfare is. Uh, would actually hurt the cause yeah. for you know the treatments of animals. Uh, you want to explain that a little bit? Well, if you make concessions, I feel like say, hey, listen, we want bigger cages for these chickens, or we want uh, these less steroids put in these cows, and the corporations say, well, we'll do this if you do that, and it's sort of a, it's a mutual agreement. And, I mean, even, even if corporations are totally against it, if there's propositions that are passed, and by law they're supposed to do it, then they'll do it. However, people then become complacent. They will settle for, well, gee whiz, all these cows are, you know, living better now. We, we accomplished something, which, in fact, um, these animals are still uh, tortured, or they're still killed, and the end result is still the same, which, um, in my opinion is not an acceptable way. Do you want to add to that, or should we move on to animal rights? Um, well, just adding on to that, I, I think that um, I, I just wanted to contrast the two positions. Um, animal welfare is... Um, I mean, animal rights and animal welfare are both concerned with the ethical treatment of animals, um, but the disagreement is what we should consider ethical treatment and then also how do we want to protect or how do we want to ensure ethical treatment and um, animal welfare is like you said a, a moderate approach they want to introduce legislation and things like that that will you know slowly kind of chip away at what they see as, as abuses to animals um, and in contrast to that, animal rights wants to uh, ascribe rights to animals and um, it's more of a radical approach, uh, stating that, you know, we we don't consider ethical treatment to be using animals as a commodity, using them as um, something disposable that we can use for labor and clothing and entertainment, especially when we live in societies where we don't need them. It's not a necessity. Um, that's my take on it. I don't know if you had... Well, different opinion on that, or <laughs> I'm an abolitionist kind of guy. Yeah, and you, so you're for sort of abolishing like domestic species. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think these animals have an inherent intrinsic value as as life, and uh, we it's immoral. Yeah, unethical to. So, you, so kill. you would you would say that the species that can't be moved into a natural environment, like moved into the wild, then we should um, kind of phase them out, let them live out their lives, but well, sterilize them so they can't reproduce? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, that, that's a very tricky situation. There's no clear-cut easy way. There's no clear-cut uh, moral <coughs> way to deal with that. I mean, look at dogs. I mean, mm-hmm. dogs that are essentially uh, domesticated. It's practically in their genes now. Yeah. And... Um, it's very difficult to say, hey, Charlie, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go on to the wild and live your life as <laughs> yeah. you normally would instead of being my house pet. <laughs> and I mean it's it's look at it's a death sentence. It is a death sentence, and it's kind of like you can draw parallel parallels to like the war in Iraq. How do we withdraw from Iraq? That I mean, I mean it's. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't, essentially. I mean, it, there's no easy solution to... Because um, if you let them free, you condemn, condemn them to death. They don't yeah. know how to live out in the wild. I'm going to try to try to sync up the vocabulary here a little bit. You're taking the uh, abolitionist position. Is this, is this part of animal rights, or is this animal liberation? It's essentially animal liberation. I, I think and, the two terms... Well, Maybe you have a different opinion. I think that animal liberation and animal rights are pretty much synonymous, I would say. Um, there is some confusion because there's the Animal Liberation Front that seeks to liberate animals from their enslavement. But uh, animal liberation is kind of just uh, used interchangeably, I, I would say, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think abolitionist is, is probably yeah. the more appropriate oh. word. I mean, liberation might be the liberation of enslaved animals or it could be uh, I don't know I, I think abolitionist is more uh, articulate yeah okay so I, I will ask you this then Brian if you say that animal rights and animal liberation are, are essentially the same thing I mean is is there a distinction even a subtle one or why, why do we have the two terms um, I'm not really sure on that I, I think that um you know, I've always seen them used interchangeably, and, you know, when I was doing a little research on it, uh, that's what they, on on the Wikipedia site, they state that the two terms are pretty much used interchangeably. Um, I, human liberation is something to kind of compare it to. Uh, for me, human liberation is this uh, movement that's striving for a, a, a society that's free from classes and, and a, a society where people are equal. Um, and that's the, I think you can kind of look at animal liberation in the same way, a, a sort of movement for um, liberation of animals in that, that they're, they're no longer just commodities for humans to consume and use as they wish. They're actual beings, sentient beings with rights, um, at the very least a right to be free from um, suffering that we would impose upon them and then also free to live in a way that's natural for them. And that's that's when we're getting back to the tricky situation where we're talking about sort of a schism within animal rights with some, some more of the hardline animal rights uh, activists being for phasing out species that have been domesticated. And I, I would say that I, I sympathize with that position to, a bit, uh, to an extent, and I agree with it to an extent, because, I mean, if you look at a domesticated animal... It's really an animal that's derived from the wild, but through artificial selection, it's basically been turned into a new species. A lot of these animals don't even resemble um, the animal that uh, they, they've descended from, um, and they, a lot of them wouldn't stand a chance in nature because, obviously, in nature, the traits that are selected for are, are, are selected by natural selection, where these these traits are going to be beneficial for the survival of the species. When humans do artificial selection or genetic engineer animals, we're selecting traits where the animal would be more beneficial to us for food or mm -hmm. be more tame, easier to handle. So basically what we've essentially done is created new species that are just there for human consumption. And I can understand the reasoning behind wanting to kind of phase these out since, really, uh, we could live without these domesticated species. If you look at cattle... Can we, we back up just a second? You're, you're sort of essentially saying that it's it doesn't really make sense to reintroduce a cow or a pig to the wild. Yeah. It's basically a walking meat rack because of what <laughs> we've done to it over the last several thousand years. Yeah. And, uh, or, I mean, a dog, for instance, which doesn't necessarily have the same instincts as the wolf that it was derived from. Now it's, yeah. it's, they're sort of dependent upon us because of the way we've bred them. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think that my views do uh, stray from the, from the more hardline stream in the animal rights movement because I do, I do not think that all species, all 
domesticated animals will need to be phased out. But I, I getting back to a lot of the livestock, like a lot of the um, like cattle, for instance. This is this is an animal that is causing more harm to the planet, um, and is an animal that we do not need uh, in an industrial society because we have plenty of other sources for protein and and, and uh, our food. Um, and I, I just have some statistics here from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. Um, they did a 2006 report that's pages, it's hundreds of pages, it's called Livestock's Long Shadow, and a large portion of that goes to detailing what live, the livestock industry is doing to, um, to environment, destroy uh, the environment or, or contribute to destroying the environment. And they, they stated that one of the top two or three most significant contributors to the most serious environmental problems at every scale from local to global is the livestock industry. And the, the livestock industry, for instance, creates more greenhouse gas than transportation, 18% of the total uh, greenhouse gas production. That's that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have the same huh, yeah. statistic. And it's, yeah. I mean, by comparison, yeah. all the world's cars, trains, planes, and boats account for a combined 13%. 13%. So the number one uh, greenhouse gas yeah. emitter is the uh, livestock farming industry. And, I mean, that's uh, pretty staggering, if you yeah. care to think about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, if essentially, it comes down to the, the single most important thing to do to help the, the planet and the whole global warming climate change is to... Scale down, at, at the very least. At the very least, scale down yeah. dramatically. Yeah, uh, if you were saying, just, just to go back to this idea of abolishing domestic animals, which I'm having a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around because it's a new concept to me. I mean, if we were to abolish the domestic cow, I mean, what kind of a population reduction in, in of the cows are we looking at? Well, as, I mean, it's, it's very hard to uh, speculate that, but when we, we have 1.3 billion cattle in, in the world, roughly. Um, that's... That's. I think it might. Be, I don't know if that's the world of the United States. In in any case, that's that's a highly inflated number, and it would be much much lower. It'd be. I mean. Yeah. Much much lower. So I mean, I mean, are we sort of talking about reducing the population of cows 80, 85, 90 percent, and letting the remaining ones roam across what few open plains are left on this planet? Sure. Yeah, I I, I would say that would be, you know, a viable thing option, but um, I think that, uh, for instance, uh, livestock, I mean, eliminating them or scaling them down, and I'm talking about industrial societies like the United States, um, Canada, societies that uh, have modern technology, uh, of course, and other, and, and this is my position on animal rights as well, is in countries where they don't have this the sophisticated technology that we have. Until we develop a system um, where we can supply all, all the m modern benefits of society to these people, we really can't condemn them for using animals because they haven't reached that stage in their civilization yet where they can abandon the use of animals like we can. To, to put it another way, say you're peasant farmers in India yeah. who have a couple of cows for the yeah. milk. You're not trying to take no. their cows away. Well, I wouldn't. I, I think that there might be some people out there that have that hardline opinion, but that that's not my opinion. Um, but I think that cattle, you know, decreasing, scaling back drastically in the United States and other industrial countries would greatly help the world in several ways. I mean, you have water pollution is a huge issue with, with the livestock industry. Um, acid rain... And then the main one of the main things is that the livestock are consuming a lot of the world's grain and and, and um, corn and things like that that we could be using to feed more of the Earth's population. I mean, if you look at uh, the globe and look where starvation is endemic in a lot of areas, I mean, we could be shipping a lot of this grain to these people that's going to feed beef, and, and it's a really inefficient uh, uh, cattle are an inefficient production of food. I mean, it takes 16 kilograms of grain uh, to produce one kilogram of beef. 
Um, this is that's also from the livestock's long shadow. Um, that's their their estimate based on uh, what their scientists came to, um, and that just illustrates how inefficient this this uh, cattle production is when it comes to feeding the Earth's population. Seventy percent of all wheat, corn, and other grains produced in the United States goes to feeding livestock. Yeah, I mean that's a veritable figure mm-hmm. from the UN FNO. So why is the system set up like this? Why are we why are we fattening cows with all this grain? It's it's part of, you know, if you ask if you ask me, it's part of the capitalist system. I mean, the livestock industry wants to secure its profits and um, they make more money. The people in the areas of the world that are starving aren't a market that, that we can exploit and, and uh we can't we can't ship them food and have them pay us back in, in monetary funds, um, but we can sell our beef and make a profit off of that. So it really it's it's another case of putting profits before people. I mean we uh, we're not really concerned about feeding the world with grain. We're concerned about making money, or the corporations are concerned about making a profit off of their their beef. Agree, disagree. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, all these companies essentially are commodifying these animals and they're essentially commodifying people because they will put profits over people. I mean yeah. it's it's I mean meat is subsidized by the federal government essentially because the land for the land is subsidized that it's used for ranchers, etc. And um, it's much more cost beneficial for corporations to uh, grow meat and sell. And well, you dropped the S word there just a second ago, and that's subsidies. We <laughs> haven't even brought up the idea of subsidies. I mean, I mean, you go to the grocery store and get a pound of hamburger for two bucks, and why does that pound of hamburger only cost two bucks? Well, when it, in reality, it probably costs ten times that much. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, in many uh, different parts of the world, it does. I mean, but, yeah, it's it's one of our major exports. The beef is and. And, uh, you know, the government wants to subsidize that so we can continue to, to pull on a profit off of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, this goes beyond the meat industry. I mean, the subsidies for uh, grains um, have, have... I mean, the United States the government didn't uh, take over the, the grain market. They bought the grain market. They subsidized all these farms, the farm bills, and they subsidized all the land for the ranchers essentially to bring down the price so they, bec- they could be competitive among uh, other countries. And this is, I mean, this goes, this extends uh, to a very impactful uh, global economic scale. I mean, it, by doing this, we essentially destroy third world uh, economic markets. Yeah. Because they can't be competitive with the United States. And, you know, my view is that... Um Coming from a, a radical left perspective, on uh, and that influences my own rights position. But I, I feel that um, it, it's probably necessary for us to radically restructure society, um, the way that we distribute uh, resources and wealth, if we're going to change conditions for animals. I don't. I don't think that uh, we're going to make a lot of headway. Unless we we radically change the way everything is organized, because as long as uh, as long as we have it where animals can be turned into profits, we're never going to see um, real consideration for their well-being. And I that's the same way with people. When you look at uh, you know with the profit system, it's it's set up its primary function is to uh, derive a profit. And uh, I think that the human rights and the animal rights and anything that's affected by that production and by that profit is just secondary to that initial um, goal of pulling in profits. And that's that's the ultimate flaw of the system. That's absolutely right. I mean, there's the, the main uh, essence of a corporation is to give money back to the stockholders. So they're not, they're not even looking... Many of these corporations aren't looking for long-term financial viability. They will destroy 
the uh, rainforest to make land for to grow soy or corn to feed their cows so they're going to get a better profit and just so that they can give a slightly higher dividend to the mm -hmm. quarterly uh, investors and yeah. sometimes these investors are only there for a quarter sometimes they're there for long term but I'm the, the public the publicly traded companies are motivated only for profit and for their investors that's what their job is. The yeah. job isn't long-term financial viability. The job clearly isn't uh, to, you know, help the sustain the yeah. global uh, earth and its natural environment. They will commodify the earth itself which to make I, a profit. Which I think kind of ties into the, the idea of labor issues. This is another reason why some people um, consider adopting a vegetarian diet um, is that uh, the the livestock industry, the meat industry, hands down one of the biggest offenders of workers' rights. Uh, I have a couple of statistics on that, actually, also. <laughs> it's too many statistics, I think. <laughs> Very uh, quickly, we're running out of time. Running out of time, okay. okay. Uh, according to statistics from uh, U.S. Department of Labor's Bureau of Labor, um, nearly one in three slaughterhouse workers suffers from illness or injury every year compared to one in ten workers in other manufacturing jobs. Um, then also there's the rate of repetitive stress injury where slaughterhouse employees are 35 times uh, higher than uh, others in manufacturing jobs. Um, and then you, you see violations of child labor, violations of immigrant labor exploiting uh, immigrants promising high-paying jobs and then little training, and uh, when they get over here, they're, they're play, paid sub-poverty wages, and they, you know, they're with with little training, and they want to speed up the the line, uh, the cutting floor, and everything, and just all of this just leads to all these injuries and fatalities that we see every year in uh, these meat packing plants, and this is, I mean, a main concern. For people that live in Nebraska, because we have quite a few of these. You're saying these meat packing plants are a horror as much for the people who work there oh, as yeah. for the animals on the line. Yeah, both animals and people. It's just a horrible, horrible employment, horrible conditions for the animals, and we should definitely do something about it and not try to reform these things through legislation, but to actually... Um, challenge the corporations by any means. Thank you. Oliver? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it goes beyond that, too. If you if you have any, if you're an environmentalist or you consider yourself green and you're not a vegetarian, well, you're not an environmentalist or you're not green. <laughs> if, if you consider yourself socially progressive and you're not a vegetarian, you're not socially progressive. That's pretty harsh, uh, a, a certain, uh, you know, a sort of statement to make. However, I mean, it's empirically, I can make a, a valid case for that. Go for it. Give me a couple minutes worth. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, specifically about food. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it takes and water too. I mean, those two are essential for life, right? Food and water. I mean, you can't live without food and water. Well, let's, let's start on water. Now, it takes about 500 liters to make, to produce a, a kilo of potatoes, and 2,000 for rice, and 100,000 liters for a kilo of beef. 100,000 <laughs> liters. Now, th this, this, um, it's a little more complicated than dumping 100,000 waters into a, a one pound of, of cow. Right. I mean, you have to, first off, you have to grow the, the soy or the rice, yeah. and you know, like I like I said before, seventy percent of all, you know, wheat, corn, other grains produced in the United States goes to feeding livestock, and you have to, you know, put water into these, uh, into the land to create this, these food sources for the cows. And right. The cows eat that, and of course they have to drink water. And too. How many people around the world are deprived of clean water? Exactly. Yeah. And how many people are around the world are de deprived of, of food? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> We probably have enough food in the world to feed everyone. Yeah. But, you know, it's not economically viable for United States interests. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, and so, 
But if we use the land that's created, that is used for beef, to create soy, corn, grains, stuff like that, we save massive amounts of clean water. Mm-hmm. We save massive amounts of food. And food costs would become lower. And that would help taxpayers, because we don't, we don't have to pay... We wouldn't, the, the taxpayer wouldn't have to subsidize giant corporations to stay competitive in the world market. These giant corporations would have so much food from you know, regular farming of grain and whatnot to, to have a low price anyway, yeah. so they can stay competitively. And it makes market sense for uh, to do that. But, and it would feed the, it would feed the whole world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we'd have so much surplus food, you know, it would be more profitable to... Healthier, you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to cook plant-based foods necessarily as you would have to cook meat to eliminate pathogens that, that you would be exposed to that to if you didn't cook. So there's also, you know, the, the pr- preparation that I think a lot of people don't take into consideration that goes into meat. Um, it's just, uh, if you imagine, you know, you said 1.8 billion cattle, if that's a worldwide population, the cattle are consuming way more food than a human being does. Um, if we could phase down this population, we could we could feed the world easily. Absolutely. 1.8. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, we have, presently we have the technology and the transportation and all the resources to be able to move, move uh, food and water around the people. I think that, again, it's just... Uh, the way that uh, our econo- economic uh, system is set up, that uh, we don't we don't get any money out of feeding people that are poor. We get money out of selling products, and and I think that we need to change that if we're gonna if we're gonna make any drastic changes, progressive changes. Absolutely. So, would you sort of summarize your position here today as animal rights and human rights are yeah. one and the same? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think that we we need. We can't have one movement without the other. I think that if we're going to have uh, a movement for a more ethical society, we need to oppose exploitation, injustice, all of those things. I think we need to uh, be um, an antagonistic towards them wherever they are, not just you know take the species approach and counter those things when it's happening to humans. I think we need to also look at how our fellow sentient creatures on the planet are also suffering. Who wants to have the last word? <laughs> what hasn't well, been well, said already? Well, okay, I'll, I'll have a few things. Now, people are listening and concerned that eating meat will adversely help affect your health or adversely affect whatever, and you think it's more expensive. It's not. But let me give you some examples of famous people. Now, I'm going to avoid politicians and celebrities because they're... They're just politicians and celebrities. <laughs> but look at it. Let's look at it. Uh, athletes who perform at a high level of being vegan or vegetarian. Carl Lewis, nine-time gold medalist, he's vegan. Ken Bradshaw, the, the bra that surfed the biggest wave ever in Waimea, <laughs> vegetarian. <laughs> Surfing is a tough sport, let me tell you. Yeah. Tony Gonzalez, the most prolific tight end ever in the history of the National Football League. Vegetarian Prince Fielder, who hit 50 home runs for the Milwaukee Brewers a couple of years ago, he's vegan. Wow. And you know Stan Price, uh, who set the world record for bench press. So these aren't a bunch of puny weaklings that are uh, deficient in all their nutrients. Absolutely not. <laughs> and you know Brian and I are clearly badass. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I'm okay with you. I'm, just, I'm sort of looking at Brian. I'm the T-Rex, man. He's, he's still more muscular than I am, and I eat meat, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it's all about how smart you are and what you eat. I, th- I think, you know, part of my trouble in... in t- right now, I would say I'm 50% vegan, 50% vegetarian. My resolution for this year is to become 100% vegan. Um, and I'm just having some trouble based on um, finding foods. And my, this is this is I, I I don't think that it's necessarily more expensive to to live a vegan lifestyle, but you need to find someone that can help you out and introduce you to the foods that you need and how you can get the best cheap foods. 
Um, Tune in next week. Yeah. To the radio show that will explain it. Yeah, well, no, it I needs notes to be a healthy, <laughs> strong vegan. If you want to give me just uh, just thirty seconds, that was one of the points that was left hanging from the actually the very beginning of the show. That, I mean, there's a perception, at least, it was what I was familiar with. I mean, the idea is that veganism is a very expensive lifestyle, and you say that's not necessarily the case. So you give me a couple quick examples of that. Well, it's basically what you eat now minus animal products, and you. Meats is always more expensive than lettuce or carrots. I mean, it depends on how much time you have to prepare food. But, I mean, if you actually put some effort in it, in it it's far cheaper. Far, yeah. far cheaper. You know, a lot of people are concerned about B12 deficiencies. And, interesting, there's a... Japanese scientists have developed plants that actually have yep. B12 in them. And also, that you can... Actually, B12 is derived from bacterial source, so you can you can take um, supplements and things like that. So it's not always an issue. B the B12. They actually found more uh, deficiencies. They did a, a research study. They found more deficiencies among omnivorous uh, people who had omnivorous diets than they did among uh, vegans, which I thought that was pretty interesting because that's uh, traditionally most people think that vegans are deficient in something because they're not eating meat, which isn't isn't necessarily the case. Vegans usually diversify their Yeah, their yeah. And I think that's, that's a big thing. If you diversify, you have several sources for your, your intake, then you're not going to have any problems. But that's for another show. <laughs> it's, it's all very interesting. I want to thank you guys for coming out and doing this show with me, because I certainly know, don't know a whole lot about this. And hopefully... You out there on the internet, all four of you, you've learned something today, too. (laughs) For Brian, Oliver, and Morgan, I'm Jackson. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.